Welcome back to Aging Vision. My name is Deanne Martinsoris and I'm your host. If you're a first-time listener, I want to thank you for joining. The goal with Aging Vision is to encourage you to think about aging, the impact it causes, and to provide tips to assist in the process that you might be facing. If you have an interest in knowing my background or my more in-depth reason as to why I'm producing this podcast, you can go and listen to the introduction and the why that can be found on agingvision.com. I want to thank Amdahl Transport Services for their sponsorship of today's show. Amdahl Transport Services provides wheelchair and gurney transport to get you where you need to go. To learn more, visit their website at amdahltransportservices.com. If you listened to the previous show, I was describing the types of care that are available options as we are headed into the sunset of our life. I reviewed the current estimated costs for each, and this show is going to be a continuation of that discussion, but the focus is going to be on what actually helps cover the cost of that care. I want to refresh you on the terminology that defines these are the terms that are used within Medicare, and they carry over to insurance plans, both medical and long-term care insurance. And those are the terms skilled care and custodial care. Now, skilled care is care that is being provided by a licensed individual. It could be a doctor, a nurse, physical therapist, speech therapist, an occupational therapist, or a dietitian. Custodial care is the assistance with activities of daily living, which include bathing, dressing, feeding, and toileting. And this level of care is provided by a personal care attendant, a nursing assistant, or a companion. And what you're going to find out is custodial care is really the type of care that most people are needing as they're aging. Medicare covers skilled care, and skilled care is provided in episodes of medical events. There will be some Medicare coverage available up to 100 days from the date of hospitalization. You might also even have a secondary medical insurance that covers an additional amount. So let's kind of go walk through an example. But So there's somebody that, you know, they have a hospitalization because they've suffered a stroke. Now they have an impairment on the left side of their body and walking is greatly limited. And so they can't just go home because they're not going to be in the best shape to go home. And usually you want to have some recovery period. After a stroke, you know, you, your best recovery is going to happen between the first three to four months after the stroke. You can have some additional recovery up to one to two years, but usually your best, your best amount is going to happen in that three to four month window. So upon discharge from the hospital, you're going to end up going to a nursing home for some rehab to build strength to walk again, and you'll have different licensed professionals that are going to be helping you all along the way, and they're going to try to get you recovered and ideally back to an independent status that you were at prior to having the stroke, and that's licensed care, licensed skilled care, and that is going to be covered by Medicare. But during that rehab period, the best you can get back to is getting to a standing position with some help and maybe walking 10 steps with someone next to you for safety. Well, dressing yourself is difficult and requires assistance, and you can't get to the bathroom without help, and, well, cooking a meal is out of the question. And so this type of care has now become custodial in nature and has not had any Medicare coverage. Medicare sets the guidelines for what is covered, and then medical insurance then follows those coverage patterns. So you're going to hear me reference personal care, and and that's because I don't like the word custodial care, I, but I have used it a lot in this podcast so far and in the previous one, and um, I feel that that's important for educational purposes because it is the terminology that you're going to be hearing as you're finding out about what coverage limits are. So you do need to understand that term, but I am going to continue on, and I'm going to probably be referencing it more as personal care. 
So in this situation that I'm describing, when that person needs all that personal care, and I'd gone into that previous, but if you needed this level of care, you are probably going to need to be staying in a nursing home or you're going to need to have a lot of care at home. Um, depending on how intense your care is, you probably could be in assisted living as well. And so overall, it's pretty fair to say that the cost of that is going to range from $3,500 a month to up to and over $20,000 a month, depending on where you are. And I know at this point, most people are saying, how do people even afford this? And I just say, hopefully very judiciously, lots of planning in place to make something like this happen. It's always been my philosophy to encourage people to take the least amount of care that they need to get by. Anybody that's talked to me on the phone, on an inquiry, I've always said things that we hope to give you the best bang for your buck and give you as little smallest amount that you need to keep you safe. And that's because we know that care needs are going to only increase. It is important that you conserve your discretionary income so you can make it stretch out over whatever period of time that you might have. And and I know a lot of people think, again, I know I referenced this before, but, you know, that I'm just going to die in my sleep or that's not going to happen to me. But that's not usually what happens. I mean, most times people need care for a little period of time. And it's hard to say how long. I mean, it really is. I have seen clients that we've cared for, I don't know, upwards of seven to eight years at least. Um, And then on the other hand, we've had people that have been as short as 30 days. So it really just varies. As you are going to see in future podcasts, it's not all about financial planning that's going to be important. It's going to be other things as well. And we're going to delve into that. but, But this aspect is pretty important. So when I first started Amdahl in home care, I did the initial marketing and one day I had an appointment with an elder law attorney and I was trying to explain how I thought we could help some of his clients that he might see and he said to me that he thought home care got too expensive and he just described to me how he had just hidden a client's assets away and got her on Medi-Cal and he told me the number of those assets and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Anyway, I find that very frustrating. And um, I told him, I said, you know, by doing that, your options are very limited. I mean, that means that she's only going to be eligible for a nursing home. And, and you know, this was over 20 years ago. And he said, yeah, he goes, that's what we did. We got her into a nursing home. And nowadays, Medicaid, the Medicaid, Medi-Cal programs, they have a five-year look back, and I think they had it back then too, 20 years ago, but it really wasn't being enforced. My understanding is now it's it's greatly being enforced, and, and that's because the amount of people that are needing assistance is just so great. I know there's two trains of thoughts, and you know, one, ethically, maybe you shouldn't be doing that, and the other is, well, I've paid taxes all my life, and why not get this benefit that's available to everyone else if my assets can be protected? Protecting assets is completely legal, but I, my opinion, I definitely think I would. you need to be doing this with professional help from an attorney so you don't get yourself into any trouble. So let's go a little more in depth about Medi-Cal, Medicaid for a moment. And this program is operated by the individual states and they then receive funding from the federal government. Um, the eligibility requirements can vary state by state, but on average, you can't have much more than about 2000 in savings, nor have monthly income greater than $1,400. You can retain your home up to a certain value. You might be over that income eligibility, and so in that, in that sense, you might have a copay, and if that's the case, then it's called share of cost. 
I encourage if you or someone you know needs advice on income eligibility or on how to apply, that you check out the American Council on Aging website, which I will have on agingvision.com. And there is a wealth of information on that site. It goes very in-depth about coverage requirements, look-back periods, and can get you to applications for the individual state. And, you know, getting these programs set up, they can take time. They can take X amount of months, I mean, to get them all, all organized. So if that is something you need, you want to start the process sooner rather than later. But Medicaid has limited coverage when it comes to assisted living and home care. These are not considered entitlement programs. Now, they are available, but you will be on a waiting list if there is not coverage for that. And and not having full coverage is pretty common in a lot of areas. I, I referenced that, I think, in, you know, the state of Washington, or I'm sorry, the state of Massachusetts. You know, they have a huge aging population, but they don't have enough caregivers to provide the assistance. So they have a lot of people on a waiting, waiting list for these Medicaid coverage type programs. You know, finding assisted living coverage for Medicaid is very, very difficult. Um, so there is home care available. Um, again, it's a waiting list in some areas. They're usually it's usually being operated by individual counties that are in, made up in the states, and so, so that's not an entitlement benefit. But what is an entitlement benefit is your nursing home stay. You, but you do have criteria that you need to meet to be able to stay there. You know, you have to have financial criteria, and you need to have care needs. Now, I'm seeing just in the recent past that there was definitely more scrutiny over care that's being provided in a nursing home. I mean, years ago, it wasn't uncommon that you would see somebody that was in a nursing home that I would think, how are they really justified to be there? But, um, you know, so, so there wasn't as much, you know, somebody was had some borderline issues, I mean, and they really were pretty financially indigent. you did see people in nursing homes, but now they're really starting to crack down on that and they want to make sure somebody has the medical needs to actually be in a nursing home. And so in this last year through in the state of California, there were nursing homes that issued eviction notices for people that had been living in nursing homes for a number of years. And you think about what that's like, that's got to be pretty sad for someone. We are going to face some interesting times. No business has the luxury of not being paid for services that are being provided. And if you don't qualify for coverage because you're medically indigent, there are limited options to get the help that you need to be paid by someone else other than yourself or your loved ones. First and foremost, if it's possible, I encourage that you have a good relationship with your immediate family. It is much easier to go through this with others instead of going it alone. I have always admired family caregivers. It takes patience, dedication, and perseverance. And if you are a family caregiver, make sure you recognize the importance of a break. Becoming a caregiver just doesn't happen overnight. It can be a very gradual process, and most of it is being done by women. And as women, we tend to take a lot on. We ignore our own needs. And this this really gets very difficult as, you know, being a caregiver. And so, you know, I'm going to be providing some suggestions for how families can come together with little simple things. I mean... Well, we'll go into that in more in depth in future shows, but but that's the intent of what I'm hoping Aging Vision is going to be about. In my business, almost 60% of our clients are receiving less than $1,000 a month in care. Only 5% have 24-hour care in the home. And the other 35% are all in between the hours of, I don't know, 10 plus hours a week to 16 hours in a day. 
So 24-hour daily care is usually provided in the case of severe dementia, heavy care needs, or end-of-life care. And most of the time, it's going to be for short periods of time, but in some cases, it can be very long-term. So I think the question you need to ask yourself is, how much care can you afford and for how long? And if you're wealthy enough to ensure that your own personal care needs can be met to the end of your life, then additional coverage is probably not needed. But if you're not medically indigent and you're not wealthy enough to support those needs, then what become your options? And that's kind of that big group that's in between. Those that, you know, I told you only 5% of my business has 24-hour care. So that's going to be more your wealthier individuals. You know, and then you have, you know, people that have less and then there's a lot in between. So whatever you want your aging vision to be, one thing I think you should consider is long-term care insurance. Now, not a long-term care insurance salesperson, but I do know that it, it is an area that's, that has the ability to help pay for some of this type of care. It is designed to provide assistance with the activities of daily living, which that term is also known as ADLs. Normally, in, it had been two ADLs were required for the insurance to pay, but I've seen recently that most policies now are requiring three ADLs to be met. Now, remember, that's bathing, dressing, meal preparation, uh, bathing, dressing, meal preparation, toileting, ambulation, all of those type of things are your ADLs. And documentation is going to be required by whomever is providing the assistance. I've seen more scrutiny on this over the years. I mean, it used to be that insurance policies would just pay whoever was, and they'd fill out some paperwork. But now a lot of um, long-term care insurance is requiring that it's being provided by a reputable agency that is a legitimate business. Years ago, we were asked if we would document increased care to get coverage in place, and I made a decision back then that we were not going to be doing that, and I refused to do that as a company, and I'm going to continue for us to refuse to document inaccurately, and the reason for that is because it really does you no good to access your policy prior to you really needing it. And by doing so, it's not going to be there for you when you really, really need it. Not something I want to be involved with. You know, 20 years ago, my company's billable revenue was only made up about 7% of clients that had long-term care insurance. Today, the number is around 11%. In my opinion, it is still underutilized by many. Long-term care coverage is not a policy you can buy once you need it. I'm not an expert in this area, but my understanding is that it's best to buy a policy during your mid to late 50s, you know, to get the best premium price. Years ago, I used to moonlight in care management, and one task I would perform was an assessment on applicants applying for long-term care insurance. I had to provide a mini mental exam, which is an exam that can identify beginning issues of cognitive impairment. I once went to the same home twice, and the first go-round, the wife did really good on the exam, but the husband had a really low score. I I knew he wasn't going to probably get the insurance, and sure enough, he got denied. And so I was sent out again because they, of course, were frustrated with the first agent that was trying to sell them the policy, so then they went to somebody else. And now this time, though, they were only applying for insurance with her. And you got to remember, the goal of insurance is to have the premiums paid for a number of years prior to any need. They're trying to screen for certain diseases such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, which are going to mean a very long payout by the insurance company. And this is why, based on your current status and your current age, when you're applying, you may have to have an exam as a requirement so so the examiner can try to pinpoint those clues if there is cognitive impairment 
And, you know, that's how you would easily get denied on, an, an, you know, when you want to go and get long-term care insurance. So I'm sure that's the reason why that age range from 55, you know, somewhere in that mid-range is probably the ideal area before you have any kind of disease process that's evident. You know, I know the policies can seem pricey, but you must remember the figures that can be paid out when it's needed. It can be bought to cover nursing home care, assisted living, and home care. I think they can even be carve-outs, and you can just, if you knew that, hey, I don't want to stay in my home, I just want nursing home coverage, or I plan to go here, or whatever it might be, I think you can do that, but again, I'm not an expert, so that's going to be something you want to check on. When these plans are sold, they are usually sold with a, um, a daily benefit, and it's going to be for a defined period of time. Most of the time I've seen it as like two to five years of coverage. I have seen some rare policies that have unlimited years of coverage, but I would think that, you know, two to five years is probably a good range of what someone's going to need. It is an extreme that someone goes a lot longer than five, but it has happened. These plans also have an elimination period, and that means that you are responsible for payment before the coverage kicks in, and this can really vary. I've seen zero elimination plans, but those are rare, and I've seen them all the way up to 90 days. Now, 90 days is not three months. It is 90 days of care. It doesn't matter if you're receiving care for two hours a day or 24 hours a day. You are responsible to meet your elimination period. So that's really important when you're thinking about that because 90 days of care can really add up. But then you kind of got to weigh the pros and cons of premium amount and, you know, those type of things. You can explore different daily benefits, but personally, I would not recommend purchasing a policy that is significantly lower than what the current cost is in, in your given area today. If a nursing home stay today is $300 per day and you buy a policy that has a daily benefit of $150 a day, but then when you go to use that policy, the, the price of a nursing home now is $400 a day, then it's going to be important that you can make up the additional $250 a day with your own assets. So that's why this kind of planning, it, it's really kind of important for you to kind of think those things through and, you know, what your long-term plan is. The cost of care is only going to go up, and there is something called an inflation rider on some of these policies, and so I would definitely ask about that. That allows the daily benefit to increase and not remain fixed. Some employers do have these policies available for purchase. You know, you usually federal, state, and city employers have these policies as an option, or you can seek out an agent that specializes in long-term care coverage. This type of coverage must be viewed as something you will pay on for the rest of your life. I have seen cases where an elderly person paid for many years and then stopped paying the premiums just within a short period of time of need. This is really heartbreaking when it is discovered. And that's why, and we're going to talk about that further as well, but as someone is aging, it is really important to kind of have those financial dialogue talks. I mean, because finance, the management of finances really is one of the first signs that that there's some slipping that's going on. And, and you would just hate to think that someone stopped paying those premiums just when they're going to need it. Overall, options are limited. Sometimes there is some extra funding that is available that is not dependent on income status. Now, this could be based on your underlying disease, and this will vary in any given area, and it's going to require some research on your part. And sometimes it means inquiring of many people to find out what's in your area. But overall, a good resource to start is your local area agency on aging. And I'm going to have the website for the elder care locator on agingvision.com, and that's going to allow you to search for the nearest resource to you. 
In California, we have something called the Caregiver Resource Centers that are located statewide, and they have some state-funded grant monies to provide respite hours to a family caregiver that's caring for someone that has brain impairment. And this could be anything from dementia, stroke, Parkinson's, or a brain tumor. There are also foundations for Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, and the American Cancer Society. Sometimes they have some options available, but usually there's these are going to be minor amounts. And when I say minor, um, some of my experiences have been, you know, maybe someone gets grant-funded monies for, I don't know, 30 hours a month or something like that, or maybe it's $400 a month. So it's not usually going to be a lot of money, but it is something out there that that I would encourage that you kind of research and see if you have something like that that might be available in your area. Another option is if you are a qualified veteran, there could be some benefits available for you for assistance in your home or in assisted living. But understanding who qualifies is very important. I will have the link available at agingvision.com and for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs website, and that provides a wealth of information. I know there are requirements of service during wartime and different things like that, but again, I think you want to go and research that. I have heard that there is going to be possibly some coverage within the Medicare Advantage plans, but I'm not sure that it's been completely rolled out. whether it's been understood, and even if it's available. I'm going to have to seek out some information and increase my understanding of what is available before I can comment further on this. I know it's going to be important for Medicare to take a really good look at this, and I know that one of the things that they are going to want to see is they're going to want to see measurable outcomes. Now, these keeping people out of a hospital, I think, is really smart, and it's something I've been a firm believer in for a number of years. In 2003, I tried to approach an HMO provider hospital and, and encourage them to give me an opportunity for uh, to refer a frequent flyer client, as I called them, um, into getting some personal care at home so I could see if I could reduce the admissions in those hospitals. Now, back then, they weren't, you know, interested in something like that. And But nowadays, there is a lot of responsibility on hospitals related to receiving Medicare reimbursement for those hospital stays. And so if people are coming in frequently and they look at discharge planning and how that was done, and if, you know, Medicare deems that it wasn't done very well, then a hospital may not get paid for that stay. We've got to think creatively in how we're going to do this. And it's, to me, as costs increase, it's only going to be smart business to evaluate what's going to make sense. If you have multiple hospitalizations in a year, it will add up greatly. And so let's use the diagnosis of congestive heart failure, known as CHF. If you had monitoring at home that avoided a hospitalization, it would be far cheaper for Medicare than multiple hospitalizations that that individual is costing by going in and out of the hospital. My concern is that with anything I've seen done by Medicare, that they over-regulate the heck out of it. And I can only imagine what this is going to do to the cost of providing personal care. And I'm concerned it's going to become another one of those programs that it's available, but is it really available and as an option to everyone? And I, I, I don't know. I still think there's going to have to be a lot of research on this. Medicare is going to have to roll this out well. And I know that I've heard that there are pilot programs being done in certain pockets of the United States. And so we're just going to have to see how this plays out. Another option that doesn't cover care, but it does provide some income replacement is a short or long-term disability plan. These are good to have in place when something happens that doesn't allow you to continue working. 
Now, every state in the nation has a short-term disability plan, and then there's the federal plan for long-term disability, but both are far from even remotely able to replace your regular income. I know it is much rarer that someone uh, has to stop work prior to their retirement age, but it does happen, and my husband is a great example of that. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at age 54. By the time he retired at age 58 and 8 months, he had been working with Parkinson's disease for 8 years. Having a long-term disability plan in place was a lifesaver. If this is an option for you, I encourage that you take advantage of it. Sometimes it is sold, um, you know, or it is provided, some, some employers provide it. Sometimes it's an option for you to buy a plan like that. But, but I do think it's a, it's a pretty reasonable plan overall. And if you feel for any reason that you should have one of those or you think about it, I've definitely thought that, you know, single women, you know, sole, had a household type thing. I mean, I'm... I guess as a woman, I'm a little biased, but um, anyway, I just know that having one of a, a serious thing happen to you, whether it's a disease, an accident, or anything like that, you know, not having your income is gets pretty difficult. I feel as though I've tried to cram a lot of information into these past two podcasts, and I know that in future shows, I will be referencing types of care, the costs, and the coverage. And I know that the coverage is a little is a little disappointing um, because there aren't a lot of options. And and I'm 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 hoping that this is a foundation for just referencing these type of things. But my goal is that we're going to make it a little more positive, and we have um, that I can provide you with some tips that are going to really be helpful in the real world as you're dealing with all these situations. And I have referenced the Aging Vision website quite a few times, and it's going to be live so very shortly. And I want to draw your attention to a feature it will have, and that is the ability to write in and ask a question or even request a suggestion for an item you'd like to hear covered in future shows. I'm going to make every effort to answer questions to the best of my ability, and if I can't get an answer, I'm going to do some research and be able to provide you with at least something to get you a little closer to getting some help that you might need. Our next show, I will do something that's going to be a little lighter than this, than these last two podcasts have been. I'm going to talk about NOAA, what it stands for, and the story behind it. I'd like to again thank our sponsor, Amdahl Transport Services, for supporting Aging Vision. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe, or you can take a screenshot to share with others, or do it the old-fashioned way by telling your family and friends to check out agingvision.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and whatever walk that you are on, I hope that you can look for joy in your day. Mm-hmm.